This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. James. I know it's very hot today, and that's why we've got the side door open. I suppose we shouldn't complain, sure we shouldn't. So little book of James, chapter one. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's just stop there. The book of James has often been called the Proverbs of the New Testament, simply because it's the most practical of all of the New Testament letters. James's epistle is probably the least structured and the less orderly of the letters of the New Testament. And even though there are great topics and themes like the word and the law and faith and work and prayer and trials and testings and the power of the tongue and praying for the sick and wisdom and riches and poverty and pride and humility and judging and grumbling, there's just so many practical points that James makes in this little book. But they're really not so neatly organized and structured as some of the other epistles. It's kind of a, a scattergun approach. But nevertheless, uh, it's just full of wonderful wisdom. And so we want to look uh, this morning at just one particular point that we read there uh, this morning and see what we can extract from this. Now, many years ago, and I, I haven't done this in years, I used to play golf. Nigel and I uh, used to be golf partners. And uh, for those of you who play golf, you'll understand this. For those of you who don't, let me explain. Whenever you go to play a game of golf, particularly if you haven't played for a few weeks, uh, you want an easy first hole. You want a nice, easy par four. For the uninitiated, that means that from the first shot you take to the last shot in the hole is to be four shots. And if you do it in four shots, then that's par for that particular hole. So you want a nice, in the first hole, you want a nice broad fairway. The broader, the better. Because you're kind of maybe a bit rusty, and so you need all the help you can get. You don't want any dog legs left or right where, where the course would take sharp turns left or right. You don't want that in the first hole. You want straight. And then you want for your green to be, to be wide and flat. Big. Not a postage stamp, but big. So that hopefully your second shot will get onto the green and then you'll have maybe two pots to get your four to get a nice easy par. That's ideal if you can get that, but not all golf courses are equal. Some of them, the first hole is really tough because some of them, the fairway in the first hole is not so wide. Therefore, it's not so forgiving. 
And sometimes it's got a dog leg left or right, and out of bounds left or right. And if you hit out of bounds, it means you get penalized. And sometimes the green, even if you do get it on on two, the green's full of undulations and some sand bunkers and traps around it. And you find in a, in a hole like that that's really, really tough that you're dropping shots. And so your first hole, you're maybe down already two shots. You're two over par, or maybe worse, maybe three over, and your head drops. Do you think, I'm only started? It's the first hole, and I'm already behind. And you're frustrated. Well, if the book of James was a golf course, and his first admonition that we're going to look at, if that was the first hole, boy, that's a really tough one. That really is a tough one. I mean, there's no gentle warm-up here. And this is typical of James. He's so blunt, he just comes right in there. Count it all joy when you fall into different trials. <laughs> I mean, he just throws a... Sorry for mixing up my metaphors. He just throws a hand grenade in right away, and we're stunned. I can hardly believe it. I mean, how do you do that? Who in the world can do that? But evidently it's possible, or he wouldn't have told us to do it. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many will agree with me this morning that if you hit a tough time, if you enter into a trial or a testing time, joy is not the first thing that comes to mind. Sure it's not. In fact, it's probably not even the last thing. You probably don't even think about joy at all. Most of us struggle. And joy is rarely our first response at a tough time. I have to be honest about it and say that's usually not how I react when I am facing a trial. But this is what James asks us to do. Count it all joy when you face various trials. Putting joy and trial together is uh, an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, but you get two opposite words, you put them together to make a statement. Like if I said, somebody was pretty ugly, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Not that I would say that, of course. <laughs> Fine Christian I am, I wouldn't dare say that. Yeah. Or I had to switch that program off TV last night because it was pure filth. Somebody says the greatest oxymoron is Microsoft Works. <laughs> For all you Apple fanatics out there. Well, James is willing, is writing to Christians, and he's willing them in their tough times to count it all joy. But how is that possible? How do you do that? Now, let us say right away here that it's impossible to go through life without at some point or other facing a tough time. Every one of us listening to me today has faced at some point in their life a tough time, a test, a trial. It wasn't easy. It was hard. You didn't look for it. You weren't expecting it. But bang! There it is, 
it happens. It could be a health issue, it could be a relationship, it could be job, it could be business, whatever, and suddenly you're in the throes of facing a trial and a tough time. We live in a broken world. And Paul says that, that even though our inward man is growing stronger every day, but our outward man is perishing. Our bodies even are getting older uh, and weaker, perishing every day. And, and Job said in his, in his own quaint way that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Uh, you know, the saying in Northern Ireland used to be as sure as guns iron. I don't know where that came from, but it just means you can absolutely count on that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to have a tough time at some point or other. Peter puts it this way. We're not to think it's strange concerning the fiery trials that try us as though some strange thing happened unto us. It happens to everybody in the whole wide world. But on top of that, believers are also faced not just with the world, but the flesh and the devil. So there's a triple whammy comes against us. And so it's impossible that you're going to go through life unscathed without some kind of a trial or a test that you have to face. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 1 and 6, Peter insists, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Paul says in Romans 5 and 3, But we glory in tribulations. <laughs> now I have to be honest here. I rarely have gloried in tribulations. <laughs> I think that the most many of us will do is grin and bear it, tough it out. And that's good as far as it goes, and it'll get you through, but not much joy in that, is there? And yet James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I don't believe James is saying here that we should deny the pain or deny the trial or somehow do mind games that it's not really affecting, it's not really happening. Because it does happen. It's life. It happens. So I don't think he's pretend to say to pretend that this doesn't exist and if we can just be a little bit more positive, we'll just breeze through this. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think what he's saying either is that the trial, the actual trial is a thing of great joy. I don't think he's saying that either. Because he lived in the real world, you know. Paul lived in the real world because when Paul had that messenger of Satan that buffeted him, and to buffet means to come against you again and again and again and again. Remember what he did? He prayed three times that God might remove it so he wasn't enjoying it very much. It wasn't a thing of joy to him. So even Paul, the great Paul, has struggles in this area. But he did get through that because God's grace was sufficient, was more than enough for him to get through it. And he finished his course successfully. But note what James says. He says, count it all joy. Reckon it up. Add up the pros and cons. Look what the end result's going to be. Will this trial what will it do in me? What will it do for me? How will I end up? 
Well, I am not better or bitter. Will I overcome it or will it overcome me? Will I be a victim or I will be a victor? How do you see the end coming? Count it, reckon it, think about it, add it up, think ahead. How am I going to come through this? What's going to be the end result? Am I going to be better at the end of it? Am I going to be stronger and wiser? Am I going to be more spiritual? Am I going to be closer to the Lord when I come through this? I think this is what James 7 is. Count it all joy. Count it up. Think about it. Add it up. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, listen to what Paul says, speaking about his trials. For our light affliction, now that is a massive understatement right there. When you read what he went through, none of it was light as far as I would be concerned. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, in the light of eternity, it's just a moment, is working for us. We would rarely ever think that a problem is working for us. Rarely. As soon as you get a problem, you immediately think, this is working against me. I'm backed into a corner here. This is against me. We never stop to think, wait a minute, this actually could be for me. This could be a blessing in disguise, actually. I could come out of this much stronger and better and wiser and greater than I came into it. And so Paul's saying, this light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's an entirely different outlook, isn't it? A completely different way of looking at our trials, isn't it? It's not the way we look at them, but this is the way Paul looks at it and James looks at it. For while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I don't believe that Paul is saying here, we, we, don't, we ignore it, we don't look at it. He's saying, I don't, that's not my focus. Can't deny it. Didn't deny the thorn in the flesh, but it's not my focus. My focus is on him. My focus is on the grace of God. My focus is on God. What will this do in me and for me? Because this is going to work for me. It's going to work on my behalf at the end of the day. If I can think about it that way and see that and believe that. 1 Peter 5, 3 and 5, Peter says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. How so? Knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. Now, notice how James and Paul and Peter are all thinking long-term. They're looking at the end result. They're not just seeing what's happening right now. They're looking down the road. They're counting it. They're adding it up. And they're saying, what's God going to bring out of this for my good and my blessing and my benefit? 
How's God going to do this? I don't know, but he will. What is Christ going to accomplish in the midst of this trial? And how, at the end of it, am I going to be better and not bitter? I'm going to be an overcomer, I'm not going to be overcome. How's that going to happen? I'm going to trust the Lord and walk with him, and he'll bring me through it. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How so? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience here means perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, never giving in, never giving up, never quitting. Keep on keeping on in spite of whatever's happening. That's what he wants. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature. That means incomplete, lacking nothing. Again, 1 Peter 1 and 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These men were not living or speaking or writing in a vacuum. They had faced some stuff, tough stuff, really big battles and trials. So this is not just academic. They're, they have come through this and are going through it. And yet, and yet they believe at the end of it, they're going to come out, test it, and they're going to be pure gold. Warren Wearsby says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we'll not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Depends on your perspective. So let's look at a few things that tough times does for us, how it works for us, how it produces something in us. First of all, it tests, and Peter said it, the genuineness of our faith. How many Christians do you know that caved in at the first hurdle? Seemed to be doing wonderfully well until the first tough time came, and then they just collapsed. Their faith was not as strong as they thought it was. It was superficial. And the test proved that. The genuineness of your faith. In Mark chapter, Mark's Gospel chapter 4, Jesus is teaching, of course, on the, the sower and the seeds and the soils. The three different seeds, sorry, three different soils. 
They talked about the stony ground one in verse 16. Likewise, these are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time afterward, when the tribulation or persecution, or when the tough time comes, they immediately stumble. They immediately stumble. The genuineness of our faith. And so God wants us to see how genuine our faith really is. Are we really trusting him? Are we really following him? Whether it's good times or bad times? Whether it's tough times or easy times? You see, when the sun's shining and your job's going well and your health is good and you've got some money in the bank and your kids are wonderful and marriage is great, wonderful, easy. But when the tough time comes, how do we handle that? Not easy. Not saying we should like it or enjoy it, but we should count it. We should reckon it. We should add up and say, what will God do with me in the midst of this? How am I going to get stronger and wiser and better? How's God going to toughen me up in this battle? And he will do that. And Peter says that the genuineness of your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gold and silver is put into the crucible and the fire is applied and it melts and all the impurities, all the dross begins to go away and only the pure gold or the pure silver is left. And that's what God wants to do with us so that only the pure gold is left and all of the impurities is gone. Does the tough time, does it drive you closer to the Lord or further away? When your faith is real and genuine, it drives you closer to him. You seek him more. You trust him more. You look to him more. You don't understand what's going on, perhaps. It's not particularly enjoyable. It's not something you've looked out for and wanted, but it's happened. But in that time, you're trusting him. You're moving more towards him. You're leaning on him more, on his understanding, not your own. So that you may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So first thing it does is test the genuineness of our faith. Secondly, it keeps us humble. Keeps us trusting in him rather than in us. You know, as human beings, we have a certain amount of pride. And we like to think that we can work everything out, that we can handle it all by ourselves, uh, that we don't need any help, that we're okay. And then we find out we're not. And then we find out we don't have any answers to this problem. And so it keeps us humble. Peter had a lot of misplaced confidence, didn't he? 
He was super confident in himself. Lord, even though all of them forsake you, I'll never forsake you. In fact, I'll die for you. Really? Really, Peter? Really? That's a big statement, isn't it? That's a big boast. That was self-confidence. Jesus says, Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. Really, Peter? <laughs> Listen to yourself. Misplaced confidence. His confidence wasn't in the Lord. His confidence wasn't in the grace of God. His confidence was in himself. I'm strong. The rest of them's weak. But I'm the big leader. I'm strong. I'm not like them. They'll let you down. They'll run away, but not me. I'll be there right at the end. Really? Of course he wasn't, was he? Because he was trusting in himself. And so trials and tough times humbles us. Makes us realize, hey, I really need God's help. I really need prayer. I really need the Lord to help me through this because I can't do this on my own. And that's the very place where God wants us to be. You remember the Apostle Paul and how he was caught up into the third heaven, saw things that was unlawful for him to utter to another human being. That phenomenal, incredible experience. And twice he says, unless I should be exalted above measure, a thorn in the flesh was given unto me, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. You'd think, well, Paul's super spiritual. Surely he wouldn't get puffed up. Evidently, God thought he could, or he wouldn't have had that thorn in the flesh. Because any one of us and all of us is subject to pride, even the great apostle Paul. And after seeing what he saw, there was a chance for him to be puffed up I am the great apostle. Nobody in the world has seen what I have seen. And God knew that because he knows the heart of all of us. And he led the messenger of Satan, whatever that was, and we're not going to go into that this morning, whatever that was, it kept him on his knees. And God says, my strength will be perfected in your weakness because when you're weak, and you're trusting me, that's when you'll really be strong. That's where your strength will lie. And that's what God wants to do with us. It humbles us. It gets us to trust him. It shows the genuineness of our faith. And thirdly, it helps us keep our eye on the big picture. This life is not the big picture. As important and as wonderful as this life is, it's not the whole story. There's a greater dimension. In fact, it's a very, very tiny part of the whole story. Time is just like a knock on the door of eternity. It's a breath, it's a flash, it's over. Over 40 years in ministry, I have buried dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Everything from babies to 90-year-olds. 
And some died in their sleep. And some died suddenly. Without any warning. Gone in a flash over. So life at best is very brief. Really brief. So it's not the big picture. So we need to keep our eye on eternity. Because that's the big picture. And so we need to evaluate things not in the light of time, but in the light of eternity. That's what Warren Wearsby was saying, by the way. If you only evaluate things in light of time, then you'll, you'll not endure the trials. You've got to have a, a bigger picture than that. You see, James and Peter, by the way, were writing to fellow believers, Jewish believers who were scattered abroad. And they were being persecuted, first of all, by Gentiles because they were Jews, and then in many cases by Jews because they were Christians. And because of that, things were tough really, really tough. They were going through in hard times. It was tough being a Christian in the days of James and Peter. Really tough. It cost you something. So that's why they're saying, get your eye on the bigger picture. This life's only a tiny, tiny part of it. <clears throat> See beyond this life. Don't judge everything in the light of time. Get eternity in your thoughts and in your heart. The old song this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. That's where they're laid up. Not here. All this can go in a flash. So we need to get our eyes on the big picture. Yes, thank God for all the blessings we have in this life. And many of us have many blessings. Thank God for every single one of them. And no doubt God will have more blessings stored up for you even in this life. Thank God for that. But that's not the big picture. There's a bigger dimension ahead for the believer. And thank God for that. In Romans chapter 8, we're coming to a closure here in a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Huh. You see how Paul is getting his eyes of time and into eternity? Yeah. See how he's seeing the bigger picture? For the earnest <laughs> expectation of the creation eagerly awaits eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I haven't time to unpack all of that, but just to simply to say, Paul said, listen, what this world is really, really waiting for is the full manifestation of the sons of God whenever God has done everything he needs to do with us. 
then he's going to deal with this world. Then this world's going to see him in all of his glory. When he has dealt with us and done everything he needs to do with us, then he's going to deal with this world. And that's why at the moment it's groaning and it's creaking. It's all kinds of things are going on. Waiting because God has got to deal with this world yet. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There's that word again. Ah, folks, listen. If things is going well right now, wonderful. Thank God for that. But if you're struggling and you're facing a difficulty and a tough time, <clears throat> remember this is going to pass. It all will pass. It will, truly will. When you look at the bigger picture, one day God's going to free us from all of this. Even our broken, frail bodies that are getting decaying every day. One day God's going to release us from this. And he's going to give us a new body like onto his glorious body. This is laid up for us, folks. Let me finish with this. It produces perseverance. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. Peter says, not only that, but we glory also in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope, the hope that does not disappoint. Look at all the things that your tough time will produce if you keep trusting him. Look at it. Steadfastness, patience, perseverance, character, hope, the ability to stand and not give up and not cave in and not quit. All of that is yours. That's what God has got for you in your tough time. Think, Lord, when I come through this and I'm finally out of this, I'm going to be better and stronger and wiser and greater in my relationship with you than I've ever been. Now we have to determine whether this is a direct attack of the evil one. And if it is, then we resist it with every fiber of our being. Because the Bible says we're to resist the enemy. Or if it's our foolishness or a bad decision we made, then all we can do is hold up our hands and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me and help me. And he will. Or, like James and Peter and Paul, maybe the Lord has permitted this. Permitted this. And in his permission, we go through that and we come out better the other side because our faith is being tested as gold. Glory to God. And so, what are you facing today? What trial are you going through? Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. 
look up and say, Lord, no matter what, I'm still going through. I'm still going on. I'm still going upward. I'm still going onward. I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to lie down. I'm going to keep going on. And when you do that, God keeps building something into you. Perseverance and strength. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in our toughest times, you are only a breath away. Just a simple prayer away. And Lord, you give us strength for the journey. Lord, you put something into us. Strength, backbone, the fight. And Lord, when there's times we're exhausted to end the fight, and we hardly know how to take another step, Lord, that's when you step in the most. And that's when your grace comes in the most. And that's where your strength comes in the most. Because then we're not trusting in ourselves. We're trusting only in you. And so we bless you and we give you thanks for this. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.